Hi there, and welcome to It's Coming with Kim and Christine. I'm Kim. And I'm Christine. And this is It's Coming, a podcast about the signs of the second coming of Jesus Christ. Christine and I are sisters, and in 2020, Christine took up the habit of reading the scriptures and searching the scriptures for the signs of the second coming so that she could better understand what's actually published and true versus speculation. So we have been doing a weekly podcast all year in 2021 to read the scriptures, dig in and see what's there. Today's episode is called... I already forgot. Something about a rose in the Lamanites. What was it? The Lamanites will blossom as a rose. Does that not sound familiar to you? No. Oh, really? Is that a scripture? Yeah, I thought it was kind of um, common LDS kind of lingo. Maybe in the West. I've only been in the West for... Well, it's in the Doctrine and Covenants. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, or maybe everywhere. (laughs) But we read that in the West, so, you know. (laughs) I'm pretty sure they read the Doctrine and Covenants in the East, too. Oh, okay. (laughs) Um, You know what? Maybe you should tell people that aren't a member of our church what the Doctrine and Covenants is, Kim. Okay, Christine. So Christine and I are members of... (laughs) Christine and I are members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And so... All of our study is done through that lens, although we think that many Christians alike will appreciate this podcast for the fact that there's a lot of dig into the scriptures. Christine even digs into the Apocrypha a little bit, um, into the Book of Mormon, which is another testament of Jesus Christ that focuses on the inhabitants of the American continent from like 600 BC. And then there is Doctrine and Covenants. So Doctrine and Covenants is a book of scripture that was compiled from revelation that was received in the 1800s when Joseph Smith and subsequent prophets were forming the church. Is that how you describe it? Or how do you describe it when you teach it to seminary children? You did a great job. My seminary kids pretty much already know what it is. (laughs) You don't have to tell them. I don't know that I describe it. I don't know. I guess we do talk about it. I mean, I I, I try to make clear that, um, you know, who's speaking in almost every section is Jesus. So I try to make that clear to them. Yeah, Yeah. because it's revelation. And so that's why it's in in Christ's voice, per se, or person. How do you put that? It's like, is that considered first person? Right, exactly. Like, if you're reading the Old Testament, you might be like, okay, is this... John speaking or Jesus speaking or or Paul, you know, who's, you know, and and um, it's it's a little different because almost always in the Doctrine and Covenants, it's um, it's Jesus. It's just revelation. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Okay, so somewhere in the Doctrine and Covenants, I guess I haven't memorized it all. So while you're telling our non LDS listeners what things are. Maybe tell them what a Lamanite is because they're like, Lamanites blossom as rose. What the heck is a Lamanite? Okay, well, I said that the Book of Mormon is a book of scripture that focuses on the inhabitants of the American continent from like, is it, what are the years, Christine? Is it 600 BC to 480? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so about that time frame. So the Lamanites, in the, in the beginning of the Book of Mormon, you have a story of Lehi and his family who leave Jerusalem and come to the American continent. Lehi had a few sons. One of them was named Nephi. One of them was named Laman. And there's Lemuel and Sam. And, you know, there's more children. But essentially, there is like a division in the family of those that 
believe life should be led one way and those that believe that life should be led another way. And the Lamanites were named after <laughs> Laman, one of the sons of Lehi, and were a population of people who were of the original family that the Book of Mormon stems from. Great. Yes. I'm just so glad I got all the answers right today. It is early Saturday morning, but I am rocking it. You are. It's the Diet Coke. <laughs> Christina and I committed to each drinking a Diet Coke this morning because we felt that our energy was lacking luster the last yeah. couple weeks. Probably we were tired because we started doing this early in the morning. <laughs> so I was actually asked by Steve, my husband, he's like, what does it mean that the Lamanites will blossom as a rose? He he probably read it in the Doctrine and Covenants because it's actually not far from where we are in our Come Follow Me program. It's in section 49. Why don't you tell our listeners who aren't members of the Church of Jesus Christ of <laughs> Latter-day Saints what our Come Follow Me program is? Oh, listeners, just go look it up. Google <laughs> Come Follow Me. <laughs> it's our Sunday school program. <laughs> anyway, I thought, oh, you know what? That's one of the signs of the time. I'll not really answer his question. I'll just do a podcast on it and tell him to start listening to my podcast. <laughs> but I wanted to start by actually answering the question of who are the Lamanites, which Kim kind of did, but I want to talk about kind who of. they are. This no, is Kim, Kim totally did. But I really didn't do a good job. No, 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 no. Kim completely full on did a great job. But I want to talk about like, if you wanted to find a, a descendant a Lamanite today, where would you find one? <laughs> where would you find one? Well, yeah. theoretically, I, I, I'm I'm just really glad I can essentially edit this and pull it out if I'm wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like if you were on a scavenger hunt and one of the things on the scavenger hunt was find a Lamanite. <laughs> I would say it would be a Native American. Because it is about like this, the Book of Mormon stems from those people, you know, people who came over. But I don't know if they all are from that descendants, because I don't know that it was the only body of people that came over. Yeah. So I just kind of wanted to address it. And I'm also going to say. So you intentionally asked me knowing that I wouldn't really know the answer. No, no, you did a great job. You're, it's true. It's true. But I want to get more specific. Okay. What I'm going to tell you is not like an official view endorsed by the church. <laughs> So we have pivoted to pontifications pivoted. by Christine today. <laughs> I literally opened the podcast talking about how your study of the scriptures and how we look for what the scriptures teach. And today, people, we're going with pontifications by it's Christine. It's called going rogue. Yes. <laughs> but right now, at least we acknowledge it. Okay. It's our podcast. We can say what we want to. Okay. I think it's important to to know these things personally. So back in um, 2003, outside of General Conference, which is a conference that we have twice a year. <laughs> anyway, it used to be live. And, 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 and anyway, our church really just does have so many cultural terms. I know. Is, it is We're not going to address them all because the we just podcast can't. will get too long. But we do recommend Google. Just roll with us and keep listening, please. <laughs> anyway, in Salt Lake City, like actually at the conference, there were some protesters outside of Temple Square with a banner saying that DNA proves the Book of Mormon is false. Have you heard that? I have not. But what? Is, oh, DNA. 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 Not like, okay, got it. Yeah. As in our chemical makeup. Right, or right, you right. Call it. Uh -huh. Anyway, and then like right around then also a, a VHS came out 
So, Kim, do you want to explain to all the young listeners how to view each other? (laughs) Once upon a time, before there was an MP4, digital streaming, there was something called a DVD. And that was really cool. But before that... (laughs) Actually, you know what? It, It was a DVD. I'm just kidding. Oh, okay, okay. We didn't have to go back that far. (laughs) Entitled DNA versus the Book of Mormon. And lots of people left the church, probably in the thousands, like many, many, many. Because at that time, DNA proved that, like a lot of the, like the Mayans, a lot of people I think in the church thought that maybe the Mayans were part of the Lamanites and... And other groups, especially in Central Central America. In, in the Book of Mormon, it talks about this narrow neck of land. And I think a lot of people kind of thought, oh, that's probably that little bridge between North and South America, that narrow neck of land. And I think that then there were also like, you could actually go on like cruises and stuff saying, oh, come look at Lamanite ruins. And But it all took you to like Central America. And then also the Mayans, if you look at some of their hieroglyphs, they totally show this great white God that came to visit them. And so part of that's like, oh my gosh, that's just like in the Book of Mormon. These must be the Lamanites, right? Yep. However, when DNA sequencing came out, they found that they were, the Mayans especially were Asian. In fact, the Mayan kings that they did the DNA sequencing on were 100% Asian. Then they did a lot of other groups of um, Native Americans in Central and South America and North America, and none of them came back with any Hebrew in them, like none. Okay. So around the same time in 2002, there were the Olympics in Salt Lake City, and this German reporter was interviewing President Hinckley, and he brought it up to President Hinckley and and said, like, what do you have to say for, for your church? You know, <laughs> DNA proves that it's not true. And President Hinckley said... DNA proved that someone's philosophy wasn't true. (laughs) Right. That's funny. Sorry. Okay, go ahead. And President Hinckley said, that hasn't been established yet. We don't know the answer to that yet. And that was in 2002. So actually very near that time, maybe a little after that, but near that time, a new tribe was discovered, you know, because they're still doing a lot of the DNA stuff. So it was actually in 2003, a new lineage was found, and it was among the Algonquin-speaking American Indians. So it's not like as big of a group as, you know, maybe some of members of the church had pictured in their mind, but they had these five DNA markers that differentiated them. And when they looked around the world to find out where else these five DNA markers were found, uh, they found them in the Druze population in Israel more specifically with the Ashkenazi Jews, which is actually the largest population of Jews. Hmm. And then there were some other, and some other Jewish populations had these five markers. Anyway, these five markers are found in 110 different tribes in North America, especially in the Great Lakes area and in Canada, which makes sense because we know that the Hilkamora is like in the northern, northern, not too far from the Great Lakes area, I will say. I'm just going to just shout out to the Great Lakes area. That is my East Coast home area. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) They also did some testing some bones of these Native American Indians that lived back then in that area, and they dated in Book of Mormon times. They're able to kind of like now through DNA get a lot more specific on which of these Native American tribes are actually 
ancestors of, I'm not sorry, ancestors, have the ancestors of the being the Book of Mormon, I'm sorry, being the Lamanites. Another place we see that is actually in the Doctrine and Covenants, which we just talked about. One of the first things that happened after the Book of Mormon was published, like when it was hot off the presses, uh, the Lord sent missionaries to the Lamanites. And then you've got to ask yourself, so where did he send them? Did he send them to Argentina and Guatemala? The answer is no. He sent them to New York, Ohio, and Missouri. Anyway, for anyone out there who had the idea that that the Lamanites were in Central and South America, that would actually be a, a no. So that one day when you find out that DNA proves that's not true, I don't want your... Don't falter. Yes. So there was a civilization called the Mound Builders, and they are in the Mississippi River Valley and also the Ohio River Valley primarily. And they would build these mounds, and that's, that's the name, but that's where they had like burial sites and, and different things. And an actual effort was made back in the 1800s to diminish the, what's the word, how progressive this civilization was. And some archaeologists at the time, if you want to call them archaeologists, actually said, they, oh, they were just savage. And, and really, they were full on lying. Like you, I found an article in the Smithsonian Magazine that talked about how they made a deliberate attempt to basically sabotage describing how civilized this group of people was. And the Smithsonian article kind of made it sound like maybe they did that too, so that it justified the settlers, the white settlers, and in, um, in not treating the Indians with more respect and in being, uh, you know, taking their lands and that kind of thing. <clears throat> but also, I found out that. Two of these archaeologists, which I'm using air quotes, even though you can't see them, two of them actually had fathers who were preachers in Palmyra, New York in the early 1800s. And so there might have also been some effort to try to disprove the Book of Mormon because there was for the longest time an understanding that the only really more civilized group of Native Americans were, were the Mayans. Uh, um, and I say American like North and South America, they were like they. It was thought that they were the only ones that had language and writing and all of this, which was completely not true. Uh, anyway, kind of interesting. There are also a couple of actual physical things. Not a lot. It's not like when you go on some trip to see the Mayan ruins and there are like tons of physical evidence. There's like not a lot. There, it's not like that. It, it not en not enough to let anyone do a cruise. <laughs> Plus, there's. <laughs> It would have to be a river cruise. Uh, but there is this one uh, piece called the Bat Creek Stone. And this one was actually in the, it was found in 1889 in um, Eastern Tennessee. And it was in the Smithsonian. And about 75 years after it was discovered, some Hebrew archaeologists were in the Smithsonian or whatever and saw it. And they're like, uh, that's upside down. And that's actually Hebrew. <laughs> Interesting. When you turned it right side up, it said for Judea. Which is like then then this like oh well how did these Cherokee Indians have this Hebrew and you know you can like read maybe ideas well maybe you know it's it they tested it and it's clear that it's legitimate that it wasn't created it dates back to Book of Mormon times but 
that they thought, well, maybe it came over with some of the first pilgrims, <laughs> you know, they're like trying to come up with some idea of like, how did this, <laughs> how did this end up there? And it's like, really, you just want to say, oh, or go read the Book of Mormon. It makes more sense. On a boat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it wasn't with the pilgrims, but a long time before that. And then they also, um, there's this, uh, also a stone called the Decalogue Stone that was found in Ohio. And it, it was actually covered with two other stones. So it was a stone and it was set in two other stones. And then um, when they opened up the stones and did that, it actually does carbon date to Book of Mormon times also. And it has on it in Hebrew, the Ten Commandments. Hmm. So then it's like, oh, well, where did the Ten com- where did this Hebrew thing come from? <laughs> anyway. That's very cool. Yeah. So I think, wh- why do you think that the church doesn't say, hello, DNA proves we're the Book of Mormon's true now. You know, I just, this is my my thing. And I'm going to tell you, I took a class. I didn't graduate from Brigham Young University, but I did take a couple college classes through them just for convenience because they offered some online. And at one point in time when I was going to school, because I went to college like as, my, as an adult, working, children, whatever, I needed like a mental break from school, but needed to keep going. So I had this idea, and it wasn't a good one to take a Book of Mormon class through BYU. that was a bad idea? It was because it was so much work. And I just thought that it wasn't going to (laughs) be. I thought I was taking a break. And like, let me just take the description. (laughs) It was not a break. But, you know, there was just a lot of analysis in that class on the Book of Mormon and on what proves the Book of Mormon to be true and on what people maybe use to, to stumble or to maybe disprove or question it or whatever. And I just, I remember giving the professor some feedback at the, and you know, these poor professors, because I'm a little sassy thing and I just kind of say what I feel. But I told him, I'm like, you know, I didn't love that portion of the course for the sake that I think that if we try to leverage science or any type of analysis that's logical, to prove the existence of God, we set ourselves up for finding what our hearts want to find. And I think that you could, you know, there'll be other people that could maybe say, oh, but here's a stumbling block to that story. Or you could actually prove it this way, right? In the same way that you're saying, right? It came over with the pilgrims. But I think that we just need to be more careful about letting our determination of God be about faith and about And faith is not a perfect knowledge of things. And so all the analysis in the world does not always lead you to knowing for sure that God exists, right? It always requires faith. And so I think it's always a safe bet to stay on the side of faith and on prayer and on letting the Holy Ghost be what tells you, not facts and science. And I think that that's a really good point because for one reason, another reason is that the science is still changing. And, you know, the historians don't begin to know all of history. And, you know, what if they came out and, you know, had some found that the Decalogue Stone really did come on the pilgrim? (laughs) Right. Because we don't know. And so that shouldn't be the foundation on which our testimony, a testimony is built. A testimony needs to be built on a foundation of study of of the material, right? Read the Book of Mormon. Pray yep. about it and let the Holy Ghost let you know. It's personal and it's individual between you and God. With that said, 
If we were on a scavenger hunt and had to find a Lamanite, I'm just kidding. <laughs> we would go to <laughs> Irving, New York. The Sack and the Fox Indians, for sure. I mean, because Joseph. Oh, Smith- I don't know. The Sack and the Fox. I don't know. That's not familiar. Never mind. Joseph Smith actually said when he met with some Sack and Fox Indians, he said, you are descendants of the Lamanites. He, he basically told them that. That's not a direct quote on how he told them, but. And he he said, the Lord has revealed that to me. Oh, so that's in uh, Kansas. That is not. See, I was sending everyone up to the uh, Great Lakes area in New York. Are the Sack and the Fox in Kansas? I just Googled it. Oh, well, oh, that's the casino. Never mind. The casino. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> Google sometimes leads you astray. I got to read too much sometimes to get the right answer. Well, and I don't know. I don't know where they are today. I'm just saying where they where they used to be. <laughs> I do want to go to now that we've been going for 20 minutes and haven't even talked about it. But that's okay. In Doctrine and Covenants section 49, verse 23, it says, Wherefore, be not deceived, but continue in steadfastness, looking forth for the heavens to be shaken and the earth to tremble and reel to and fro as a drunken man. So he's saying, look for the signs of the second coming and for the valleys to be exalted and the mountains to be made low and for the rough places to become smooth. And all this when the angel shall sound his trumpet, which we've talked about that. And then in verse 24, it says, but before the great day of the Lord shall come, Jacob shall flourish in the wilderness and the Lamanites shall blossom as the rose. So do you see how it's worded that the Lamanites blossoming as the rose is actually a sign of the second coming? Yeah. The sign of something that's going to happen prior to the second coming. And then it says, Zion shall flourish upon the hills and rejoice upon upon the mountains and shall be assembled together unto the place which I have appointed. So we talked about that last time, that the new Jerusalem would be established. And behold, I say unto you, go forth as I have commanded you, repent of your sins and you shall ask and you shall receive, knock and it shall be opened unto you. Behold, I will go before you and be your rearward. I will be in your midst and you shall not be confounded. Right in here with all of the signs of the second coming is the Lamanites shall blossom as the rose. So then I personally have always kind of thought, well, that's already happened. There's been a lot of you know missionary work. Descendants of the Lamanites have joined the church and um, they've already, I, I, I kind of thought, oh, that check already happened. But I just want to share with you in 3 Nephi, Starting in verse 21. So in 3 Nephi, this is actually when Christ is on the earth and he's speaking here in, in verse 21. What chapter, Christine? Uh, 3 Nephi 21, starting in verse 23. Okay. So Christ is visiting the people here on the American continent and he says, and and they shall assist my people, the remnant of Jacob, and also many of the house of Israel as shall come, and that they may build a city which shall be called the New Jerusalem. We might have read this last time. And Then shall they assist my people that they may be gathered in who are scattered upon the face of the land in and to the new Jerusalem. And then, so see how it's talking about things in sequential order. I I was noticing that only because you've called it out before that you love when it's like, and then this, and then this. Because it's not always like that. Sometimes it's like, well, and then there's the millennium and then there's the restoration. You know, that's Isaiah. Anyway, but uh, this is... more sequential. It says, and then shall the power of heaven come down among them, and I also will be in their midst. And then shall the work of the Father commence in that day, even when this gospel shall be preached unto the remnant of this people. So remember who he's who he's speaking to right then, is he's yeah, speaking he's, to the Lamanites. 
Mm-hmm. And he's like, and then the gospel will be preached among a remnant of this people. Verily I say unto you, at that day shall the work of the Father commence among the dispersed of my people, yea, even the tribes which have been lost. So he's now he's listing some other members of that house of Israel that are going to be taught in that day, the lost 10 tribes, um, which the Father hath led away out of Jerusalem. Okay, can I just try to... I, I don't really mean to try to blow it up, but I'm just curious. <laughs> no, go ahead. And maybe this is like, go back and read your book of Mormon, Kim, and you should have paid more attention in that BYU class that you're whiny that you had to do so much work for. Um, but <laughs> I only took part one, so we didn't make it this far in the book of Mormon. Is this Lamanites or Nephites? Uh, well, if you'll remember who the righteous ones were, <laughs> this is Lamanites. Oh, yes, there'd been a shift. Yeah, there had been yes, a shift. there'd been a shift. Okay, so, so for those <laughs> that don't know, beginning of the Book of Mormon, when the Nephites and Lamanites split, the Nephites are the righteous ones, the Lamanites are wicked, and then Samuel the Lamanite times, we move over to the opposite being true. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Anyway, it does make it look like, sure, Christine is probably right. In some ways, the Lamanites have already blossomed as a rose. But it also, when I read it here in Third Nephi, it looks like... Maybe in a different sense, it's going to happen even more so. What do you think, Kim? Yeah, I I really do think that's fascinating because I also, I do feel like, has the gospel not been taught to these people, right? But it does definitely sound like there will maybe be a further, into. I I don't know, um, What's the word? Like a lot more of it. I can't think of the word I'm looking for. (laughs) But like a lot more of it where there's maybe more of them coming into the gospel. I think so. Yeah. In uh, 2 Nephi chapter 30, starting in verse 3, I'm just going to really skip around here. But it talks about like after this book comes forth, meaning the Book of Mormon, it'll be carried to a remnant of their seed and that remnant of their seed will know concerning their ancestors, and they will be a pure and a delightsome people. And and then it also talks about in verse 7 that the Jews which are scattered shall begin to believe in Christ, and the Lord shall commence his work among all nations. And anyway, it talks about like, well, going on, it says, all nations, kindreds, tongues, and people. And verse 9, it says, and he shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he, he shall slay the wicked. So again, it's talking about the last days, right? Because that hasn't happened yet. And then in verse 10, we, I'm sure, read this before because it says, uh, For the time speedily cometh that the Lord God shall cause a great division among the people. The wicked will he destroy, and he will spare his people. Yea, even if so be that he must destroy the wicked by fire. So, And if you kind of read in there, he talks about like different groups of people that he's going to spare and that are going to be taught the gospel. And one of them is the re- remnant of this people, meaning the Lamanites. And then also he mentions the Jews. So as you read, there are kind of like repeatedly the Jews are going to be taught the gospel, the lost 10 tribes are going to be taught the gospel, and the remnant of the Lamanites are going to be taught the gospel, all of whom are members of the house of Israel. Those a lot of times, you know, Jesus calls his people because they are from the, uh, the same lineage. And then in uh, another verse I found interesting was in Second Nephi chapter 9, verse 53. It says, and behold, how great the covenants of the Lord and how great his condescension unto the children of men. And because of his greatness and his grace and his mercy, he has promised unto us that our seed shall not utterly be, dis- be destroyed according to the flesh, but that we he would preserve them. And in future generations, they shall become a righteous branch unto the house of Israel. Whereas I think that 
a lot of Lamanites have been taught the gospel and have embraced it. And you could you could say that they have quote blossomed as a rose if if, if embracing Jesus Christ is what it means to blossom as a rose, which I, I guess is my my guess here. <laughs> But here it's talking about them becoming a righteous branch unto the house of Israel. So maybe there is a time when it, it maybe in as a group, as a larger group of people, as a branch, they might embrace Jesus Christ. I don't know. What do you think? I think this is very possible. It is quite possible. Yes. I do think that's possible. And although speculation, seemingly like, you know, not far-fetched speculation. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) I think the only scripture I found that really makes it sound like it's something that hasn't happened is the one where it was talking about the new Jerusalem is built and then, you know, making it sound like it's after that period of time. Because other than that scripture, the rest of these, I, I think really could be something that has already happened. But maybe there's something in a larger, on a larger scale that's yet to happen. Right, right. Yeah. Well, interesting. There are a couple other scriptures, but a lot of them are, they're repeating the same thing that a remnant of the seed will come to a knowledge of the Lord. Again, a lot of times it's interesting because like in um, 35 chapter five, it's also lumped in, it says like, talks about that remnant of the seed. And then in, in verse 25, it says, restoring all the house of Jacob unto the knowledge of the covenant, which he hath covenanted with them. So, because all the house of Jacob, so the Lamanites, the lost 10 tribes, the Jews, which are, like I said, some other groups that are, are frequently kind of discussed at the same time, meaning all the house of Jacob. Then they shall be gathered from the four corners of the earth unto their own lands from whence they have been dispersed. So talking about how there's a physical gathering too. And then another one in Doctrine and Covenants, um, section three, verse 20, it says that the Lamanites will come to a knowledge of their fathers. Another one in Doctrine and Covenants 109, it says um and cause the remnants of Jacob who have been cursed and smitten because of their transgression be converted from their wild and savage condition into the fullness of the everlasting gospel. Anyway, I think that's something where when we see it happen, if we're alive, uh, we'll be like, oh yeah, that's just like it talks about in Third Nephi that there would be a large group that are converted or or so or so it reads. All right. Well, this was a fun one today, Christine. Just a little bit different look at signs of the second coming. And really, it's nice sometimes to not just have, you know, locusts and earthquakes and <laughs> bloody moons, but to have people receiving joy and receiving the gospel and receiving Christ in their lives is also a sign. So I love it. Well, great. How about if I close out with, with an umbrella scripture? Let's do it. Our umbrella scripture today is from the book of Proverbs, chapter 14, verse 26. And it says, In the fear of the Lord is strong confidence, and his children shall have a place of refuge. It's um, short and sweet, but I know that that is true, that as we fear the Lord or basically turn to him for our strength, that we'll be able to be strong and confident and have a place of refuge in times when refuge is needed. Thanks, Christine. I love the way that one's worded, that we get strong confidence. That just, I love that phrase. So, well, thanks today for another interesting episode of A Sign of the Second Coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Hope you all have a great week. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. Bye.